would you join me in prayer? God, may we face ourselves. May we face ourselves as we come to you in repentance, in hope, in peace and in sadness, between grief and love. May we sit where we truly are and surrender ourselves to you. Amen. <clears throat> so today, we are going to look at answering an important question, why should I worry about being emotionally healthy in my spirituality? I will find out what I'm doing and stop it. <laughs> um, but before we do, and just in case, just in case, let me see if my jack has the problem, um, just in case um, you haven't come into this problem as often as I have, I want to let you know something that I face all the time. It's a, it's a scriptural problem that we almost have. If we go to Matthew chapter 5, which looks at uh, excerpts of the Sermon on the Mount, I've just laid out a few. Um, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Uh, moving to the next slide. You've heard it said, um, you shall not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. You have heard it said in verse 43, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We see verses like this, and because of our own emotional needs, by which I really mean to say emotional unhealth, we tend to look at this and other verses and say that anger, sadness, fear, these are bad emotions. That's not good theology. I'm going to suggest that these verses actually have more to do with sin, and how sin can take our emotional response to certain things that happen and corrupt it and make it destructive. Negative emotions are not evil. For example, Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now let's set the atonement theology aside for a moment. And, and ponder deep meanings and just feel the pain of that for a second. If we update the language a little bit to hit me in the heart the way it's intended to, God, God, why do you hate me? Or knowing how Jesus relates to God, Dad, why do you hate me? What emotion and Pain might Jesus be feeling in that moment? Or how about this in Mark 11? And when Jesus got to the temple courts, he began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned table and money changers. He made a general mess of things. And the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, and I suggest it was loud, so he probably yelled, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have uh, made it a den of robbers. Well, there's anger for you. 
And I'd suggest a disruptive, protesting kind of anger. And then later, Jesus at Gethsemane, right before arrested, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay with me here and keep, uh, stay here and keep watch with me. Sadness. And then later, as we read about him praying, such emotion that tears fell as drops of blood. I don't know what to call that except anxiety and fear. He needed to feel these things before he was ready to stand and face the cross. God himself felt our same emotions through Jesus. Biblically, I'm sorry, I can't come to any other conclusion, but negative emotions are not bad. You need to sit with them, folks. So, if we can agree to that, let's look at how embracing all of our emotions and reading the Bible honestly can impact us in how we relate to what Henry Nouwen calls our three spiritual movements. Movement towards self, movement towards others, and movement towards God. So, we often want to fit our emotions into something that's deemed appropriate. We, we have these societal pressures we face to present what Peter Schizero calls a false self. Don't pay attention to the emotions behind the curtain. Here I am. Here are some symptoms of the false self that really are just going to whet your appetite for the assessment you take later. Um, looking at just a few. One, I say yes when I really mean to say no. Uh-huh. Um, I get depressed when people are upset with me. Ooh, number five, I often remain silent in order to keep the peace. Number 12, I do what others want so they don't get mad at me. Thirteen, I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings of inadequacy with brilliant PowerPoint slides. <laughs> and I compare myself to a lot of other people. Um, somewhere, all of us probably see some of this happening in our lives, I do. I will say that that's an indication that there is emotional unhealth happening. When we are operating out of emotional unhealth and we isolate ourselves, we're terrified of facing the negative emotions, so we expend tremendous amounts of energy to distract ourselves from what we're feeling. We, when we find these many projects and people that we can use to chase away our emotions, that is suppression of emotions. It's not coping. The way to health is to feel our emotions and not push them away. Once we feel them and are comfortable with them, perhaps we can hear what they're trying to tell us. So let's gracefully go to the next slide in that shenanigan. Um, one of the ways that we can listen to our emotions is through a tool called the feeling wheel. And just at the very base of it, you see in the circle, in the innermost circle, those are base, easy to identify emotions. And then expanding out are a ton of um, ever increasingly sophisticated and nuanced emotions. But all of them come from some kind of base. So for example, as we'll see later, guilt comes from sadness. So I'm going to go to the next slide where it's a little bit easier to read. 
Um, these are just in the middle are our base emotions and moving outward in the circle. And one of the things that we know from emotions in the feeling wheel and how we can glean information is that what you're experiencing on one side of the feeling wheel, the polar opposite side, whether it's power, mad, proud, hostile, or successful and sarcastic, that's an indication of what's happening over a particular issue. So you did a project at school and you felt all kinds of sarcastic emotions about that project and the people who graded you and the people who helped. Oh yeah, they were really on board. I really did like this. <laughs> that comes from a place of mad. Your, your defender is rising. And polar opposite of sarcastic is successful, which stems from the base emotion of powerful. Powerful meaning, um, in this case, like that we are able to self-assert in a healthy way. So this isn't how to fix it, but it just communicates that, okay, if I'm feeling sarcastic, I want to feel helpful, or I'm, so, I'm sorry, I want to feel successful, but I'm not. All right, let's try this again on the next slide. Okay, so here we have guilty over a particular emotion. That means you are sad about an event. Guilty is the opposite of hopeful, which is a focused energy and emotion about your future that is joyfully felt. What does that mean? When I'm in the hospital with parents, and they're sad, and they're feeling guilty. Most of us want to say, don't feel guilty. Instead, I'll say, let's feel guilty. That's sadness. It's the body's way, the spirit's way of communicating that the joyful future that you had hopefully envisioned for your child is gone. It's just information it's not a sin to be corrected. And then lastly, uh, we will go to peaceful and scared as a base. Um, submissive is what I'm highlighting now. That's an example of, uh, if you've ever seen dogs or cats that have been abused the way they act, that kind of submissive. Clearly that comes from scared. Peaceful is a base emotion opposite of scared. Saying, hey, I'm in a safe place. I'm well. And if you're acting submissive, that means the peaceful, plentiful emotion you want to feel in a particular relationship, the intimacy you want to feel is gone. So I like to think of these emotions as guides. They're friends that are coming to tell us something, a little bit like the movie um, Inside Out, where there's a character named Riley. She is feeling all these feels, and all of these emotions are kind of controlling her and telling her what to do. They're giving her information, and the point of the movie is that, you know, joy wants to control everything. Happy, happy, joy, joy. But sadness needs to have a place. Anger needs to have a place. All of the emotions are good. Now, not to discount the in-depth psychological message of a children's movie, but we could push it a little further than that. Um, I like to think of these emotions as guides, but they are not very wise. 
in that control panel of Zach's brain, I'm sorry, emotions, you don't get the driver's seat. I'm the one who needs to sit in the driver's seat. I collect information from these emotions, and I then tell them what to do. We are the ones who are in the captain's chair. And so our emotions tell us something, and then if we're emotionally healthy, we can then tell the emotions what to do. We can respond with wisdom. Now, if we don't do that, if we suppress all of our emotions, they still manage to find their way into the control panel and bop, 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 make little videos, bop, 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 yell at our kids, bop, 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 um, be submissive. So as we move from solitude, from uh, solitude, or uh, this microphone thing is messing me up. As we move from isolation to solitude, here's an important question I want you to consider. Uh, go ahead and finish the slide, thank you. Can you see yourself and be okay? Can you embrace yourself and be transformed? It is not enough to simply name emotions. We need to feel them before they can meaningfully guide us. Now, the book that we're reading is going to help us start to explore this. The groups that we're in will help us to explore this together. One of the steps that is suggested in Peter Scazzaro's book is pay attention to your interior silence and solitude as a way of moving forward. This doesn't just happen. Did anyone else feel like those two minutes with no stimulation from the outside world were the longest two minutes that have ever existed since the beginning of the world? Were you looking for the fan noises? I was. I was looking at the timer. It was very difficult. We need to make time for that. Moving on to the next of the um, spiritual movements now, we were looking at emotions with self. Now we're going to look at our um, movement from hostility to hospitality. Um, now, host hostility is when we want to influence others to make them meet our needs rather than the group's desires. Now, maybe it'll work for a time, but, you know, it really, it really doesn't stay for very long at all. Um, and, you know, again, emotional identification isn't enough. Knowing that I'm angry isn't enough. We need to have some wisdom with what to do with the anger. We need to be able to be healthy in our response to an angering situation. So if we meet someone who is not emotionally healthy, we can tell that they are in a hostile place where they're not really making room for others and they're forcing us to kind of meet their needs because they tend to be rather emotionally draining to be around. You know those people that you're with them for 20 minutes and you feel like you were running for two hours? That is someone who is not emotionally healthy. That's the impact of your emotional health on others. Um, another example, they won't often be very curious about others. They will tend to um, make more declarations than ask questions. And all of these are examples of a hostile communicators inflicting their own needs on others. Um, 
And a great example of how someone was not necessarily mean, but they were certainly hostile, when a friend of mine, when our, we were all in our early 20s, got married before any of us, we all went to him and were like, hey, what's it like to be married? And he thought very carefully and said, you know, it's my wife. Uh, she, she is really, she's really learning a lot about her selfishness. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Um, yeah, that... That is not a self-aware person. That's someone that's forcing someone else to live his narrative. He got better, thanks be to God. Um, now, Ephesians does its part to warn us about being in a group of people or participating in a conversation where there's hostility and what it will do for us. It says, I just switched the page, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by every cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. <sighs> emotional self-awareness, emotionally healthy spirituality is an anchor for you when you are in a group like this. Um, I'd like you to advance to the next slide. I'm switching the order just a bit. Um, hospitality is being emotionally healthy enough to make a sacred space for another person to feel comfortable and open just to be themselves. An emotionally healthy hospitality contributes to a group through trust, and vulnerability rather than need and coercion. That's okay. We're, we'll find your place. We're looking for, um, if you go to the finding your true self, um, back a few slides, we'll stay there. Um, <clears throat> So, an emo again, an emotionally healthy hospitality contributes to a group through trust and vulnerability rather than need and coercion. One person can change everything. So the important question to ask, and these will all be posted so you don't have to write it all down so quickly, can you be with others without demanding attention? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Chaplain, not a pastor. Okay, um, so one person can change anything. In true hospitality, you make space for others while being your authentic self. Imagine living in a friendship, in a fellowship that blesses all of its members. So if you want to be someone that can influence with trust, if you want to know who you are in a group so your needs don't overtake, every person and relationship you're involved with, here are some steps I'll advise you to continue taking. Step two in finding your true self. Find a trusted companion, people that you trust enough to change how you see yourself. If they are hospitable to you, you can discover things about yourself. In a personal example, there have been two significant moments where Grace and I could have fractured. Um, one before, one after. And in those moments, we could have done the, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But instead, 
one person said, my love, this thing is making me feel this way. Can we sit together and feel this together? The two most significant periods of growth that Grace and I have ever had was because one of us was vulnerable and the other one listened. Find trusted companions. Number three, move out of your comfort zone. Vulnerability is terrifying, and the temptation to analyze your feelings rather than actually feel them is a trick we often fall into. Avoid it. Just feel the emotion first. Don't feel it and then run immediately into, and that's because of the way my mother talked to me when I was three. You see how that stops feeling the emotion and learning from it and analyzing it and brushing it aside. Move out of your comfort zone. All right, so for our last group of uh, slides and movements, we're looking at uh, how our self-awareness with God can move us from illusion to intimacy with God. When David went out to meet Goliath, he was a man of passion, almost a raw nerve, if you like. He knew what and who he was and how God wanted to use him. So in 1 Samuel 17, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor, uh, he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand, approached the Philistine. I try to imagine sometimes what David might have felt, knowing that he had some accusations and some suggestions from Saul, from his family, taunts from Goliath himself, others who were pushing on him things that they believed were true. I imagine what it must have felt like to be in ill-fitting armor, which are the illusions that someone else, and maybe even for a time he himself, put on about what it means to be with God. This is how I am to do the work of God. But he saw his strengths as rooted in God and who he was made to be in God, rather than all of that other stuff. And that's because he'd spent his time in the fields. He'd spent his time with God making music. He knew himself through his relationship and knew that none of this would work. But we often fall into a slightly different pattern of our process with God. I have known people that first they meet God and it transforms them a bit. And so they study God, they get to know all this informa information, and then they start doing godly things until they get stuck behind a wall. And so, not knowing what to do, they notice stagnation, they go back to study, they start doing more things, they do one, two, one, two, one, two, none of that's working, quick, go back to one, maybe the first time I met God it wasn't right, I should meet God again all the way through the cycle. For years we spent time doing this and we never asked the question, why is 
this. And um, I'm going to suggest that the issue is that we don't look at ourselves closely. We ignore important things and it stops up our relationship with God. We shouldn't be afraid of what we find out. Knowing yourself as you get to know God forms a relationship where as your knowledge of self grows, so does your knowledge of God. And it goes cycling back and forth like that. Um, and we never ever go deeper. I want to tell you a hard truth. Only looking at God does not make you emotionally healthy. Only finding information about God does not make you emotionally healthy. As a chaplain, I have had to tell people, stop reading your Bible while listening to Christian music while TBN is on the television. That is all the same thing as the video. You're turning God into a distraction who you're not even relating with. Spend some time getting to know yourself. And so, because they get stuck behind the wall on the next slide, we see that they miss the additional transformation from God and the empowered love for God. They miss the continued transformation of their lives. And they lose track of the ways that even the shadows point to the greater lights of God. Even the shadows come from a source of light. Follow the shadows, folks. <clears throat> so, by knowing ourselves, our relationship with God can become greater. An important question that you need to ask yourself are you willing to have your cherished blind spots about yourself removed? Do you see how God flows into all parts of your life? In true intimacy with God, we find ourselves unashamed of any part or emotion. When we are allowed to be our most emotionally healthy self, our connection to God becomes increasingly authentic. Get to know yourself. So let's go to step four in this process, as outlined by Peter Scazzaro. Uh, in your search for finding your true self, pray for courage. When I found courage, I left Chicago, went on a better trip to Rochester, married a good woman. But it's scary because there's dark corners we don't want to explore, that we want to hide under a blanket of information. Don't do that. Pray for courage to look at yourself without blanking. And so when we're on this journey together now, um, Pastor John and I are delighted to see how you can discover yourselves and how that can empower you for life with God. So would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you from different places on different levels of emotional stability, on emotional health. Lift our blinders. Open us to the possibilities that you have in store. Where there will be pain, meet us with your grace, 
and with the power of your community. So as the church, may we move forward together. Amen.